Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Human's rights organizations have joined the families and filed a class action lawsuit against the DECA group immediately after an unknown party leaked confidential radio transmissions from one of the DECA slow ships. A spokesperson for law firm Oxhead and Partners stated there is more than enough evidence on this one recording to build a case. The groups and families believe it is the prisoner's right to be aware of the fact that he or she is being held captive. They also argue that pushing the notion of an outside world from the prisoners is in fact a way of setting them free, and thus an insult to the victims. Secondly, and more importantly, the lawsuit will focus on the role that the convicts are unwittingly playing in establishing a workforce at the DECA mining complex. Tape number two, The Teacher. I am the teacher and this is my third entry. I've been feeling anxious, to be honest. I'm not feeling like myself. It's like something has been broken inside of me. I'm sorry if I'm being melodramatic, but that's just how I feel. The container was cracked and now someone else is leaking out. Another version of me trying to crawl into my skin. A version that perceives the world very differently. And the cook is the one who broke me open. She made me see all of this. And I'm just not sure if I'm seeing more of the truth or less of it. I mean, theoretically, there could be something beyond the eight rooms. My mind doesn't want to go there, but if I strain for a long time, I am able to imagine it now. The possibility of a place beyond these walls, bigger in many ways, a space we travel. But then it slips away into the fog again and I relax. I want to stay relaxed, you know, but I can't. I just want everything to go back to normal, but I can't shake the questions. It doesn't help that I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. At first, I had no problem with waiting for my role to become clear. But now it keeps the broken container in my heart from closing. It gives me too much time to think. All the others just look for their sign and get to work. Where is my sign? I mean, the communicator sign is on this recording console. The cleaner's sign is on all the cabinets where he can find his cleaning, you know, stuff. But my sign is nowhere. Only on my locker. I've looked everywhere. Also, the others seem completely at peace with their instructions. I feel like I received the wrong copy or something. I mean, the front page is as clear as can be. You are the teacher. I understand the section on basic principles of transferring knowledge. I feel like it's something I would be good at. But from the third chapter onward, it all becomes very general and cryptic to me. It says, 
Wait until the need for education arrives. It will happen and you will recognize it. I've read that part over and over again. I woke up citing it to myself this morning. But how can I recognize anything if I question everything? Look, maybe there's just something very wrong with me. Maybe the cook lost her mind and now she's making me lose mine. There is one more possibility though, a more scary one. Maybe there are people somewhere who have all the answers to the cook's questions. People who know more than the rest of us. Maybe they know about another world beyond the glass. But their instructions are to never share those answers. Because the answers might keep us from playing our part. The person you are calling is not available right now. Please leave your name and your number. Thank you. Honey, it's me. Listen, you are not going to believe the day I've had. Have you heard what happened at our kindergarten? I'm not supposed to tell anyone. It's all a big secret, you know, government stuff. But everyone in Capitol Hill is talking about it. Nobody can keep their mouth shut. Not about something like this. So I was just picking up Kathleen from kindergarten, and I was talking to Gracie, and everything was fine. But then this big black car almost goes right through the gate. It was crazy. The tires screeched and everything. Everybody stopped talking, and some of the kids got scared. Me too. I, I got ready to get out of there, you know, with all the crazy stuff you see on the news nowadays. But the door opens, and Patrick comes out. Good old goofy Patrick. He was wearing his gray suit, so I thought he must have come driving to school straight from the Pentagon to pick up Derek, you know, because of Father's Day. But then I hear Lucy calling out to him. Lucy is right there. She's picking up Derek. So that's not why Patrick's there. Lucy was worried and started running towards him. She probably thought someone started a war or something. She ran and dragged little Derek along with her. Everybody was looking at them. It was kind of embarrassing. But nobody had started a war. Patrick was there for little Derek's gift. Everyone had made presents for Father's Day, and Derek had made this mug with all kinds of stuff glued on there, dried pasta, that, that kind of stuff. He gave it to his dad, all smiling and proud. So get this. Patrick takes the mug from his son and starts smashing it into the curb. It was insane. He kept slamming his son's self-made gift until nothing was left of it. Lucy couldn't believe it, and he was just getting started. He smashed little paper mache figurines. He ripped computer art apart. Little Mary had painted this triangle-shaped rock for her dad to use as a paperweight at the office. He just grabbed it out of her hands and took it with him and threw it over the fence onto the road as he walked towards the school. Kids were screaming and crying, and a bunch of moms and dads ran after him and were able to hold him down. It was literally the weirdest, like, thing I have ever seen. I didn't know how to help, but I just stayed close to make sure everyone was fine. I told Kathleen to go play with Mia. The police came and took Patrick, and his boy cried. It was very sad. But all of this is just the tip of the iceberg, honey. I, it only gets crazier from here. 
Two hours later, they released Patrick. No charges, no problems. He just walked out. Weird, right? At the time, I thought, maybe it's because he works for the government and he's kind of untouchable or something. But that's not what happened at all. The cook made breakfast this morning like she promised, so everybody finally ate. Well, except for the cleaner. He was too tired and mad. <laughs> Had to ignore his instructions for a few hours and leave the mess. That was the deal, and he kept his end, but it wasn't easy for him. We spent a big part of the night together, him and I, just sitting in the kitchen, looking at the windows. I tried explaining to him what the cook made me see, but there was no use. I think I just made him angrier. Not long before the light of the cone, the leader walked in. He took the both of us back upstairs because he wanted to make sure no one would ruin his deal with the cook. I ended up in his bed somehow, and we had sex. It was nice, you know, it distracted me from myself, and it felt like we were doing something useful together. At the breakfast table, I got my first sex badge. We were the only ones who had sex that night, and that also felt good for some reason. Anyway, after she served breakfast, the cook tried explaining her ideas to the group, and she was really calm now, nothing like the day before, barely any gibberish. She tried to show everyone that something was moving beyond the glass. And she explained the implications of her discovery, but no one cared. Some of them stared at her for a while, puzzled, and then returned to eating. When she started all over again, the communicator stopped her and told her to sit down. It's over, she said. And the cook just stood there for a second, and I felt sorry for her. So I thanked her for making me see. I mean, I know I shouldn't have. And right after the words were out of my mouth, I felt a kind of cold shiver going through my body, as if I was suddenly naked at the breakfast table. But I couldn't help myself. I had to tell her. And she was very happy about it. She sat down next to me and kept asking if I was for real. I told her I was. I am. I can't go back to seeing glass walls. I see windows now. Communicator gave me a nasty look and asked if anyone else had abnormal visions like us. That's what she called it, abnormal visions. No one raised their hand. And that got the cook frustrated again. And she asked the mystery function what he made of all of this. The mystery function slowly looked up from his plate and just smiled at her. It was kind of creepy. But the cook wasn't intimidated, you know. She asked him to simply nod or shake his head. You must be able to do that, she said. <laughs> he didn't respond. He just kept looking at her and smiled. The cook turned to the leader. She asked him how we can trust a man who said nothing. The leader dismissed her, but the cook kept going. She wanted to know if the leader knew more about the mystery function than we did. She asked why the mystery function sign is on the big cone at the center of the garden room. That finally got the group's attention a little bit. People looked up from their plates. And she's right, I checked. The mystery function sign is engraved on the dark glass at the base of the cone, on all three sides. That's weird, right? What's he supposed to do with that thing? The leader reminded her that no one was allowed to share the contents of their instructions. She asked why. He got mad and told her to shut her mouth. 
She just wanted to know why we aren't allowed to read each other's instructions or even talk about them. She said she couldn't think of a good reason. The leader threw his spoon towards her, but she dodged it and it flew into the kitchen. He told her to sit down and shut up. She was way out of line. I know that, but I didn't want the cook to stop asking questions. I wanted her to go on and on. I felt an endless curiosity taking over me. I wanted to know more. The entertainer wanted to continue a story he'd been telling about a philosopher who never wrote down his ideas. But I interrupted him. I'm sorry. I had to help her. I could feel the sweat going down my back and my vision went a little blurry, but I had no choice. I got up as well and I tried to explain how innocent our intentions were. We just wanted to ask some questions. We just wanted to get a better understanding of what was going on. And the fixer turned on me. He basically said I was useless and I had no right to join the cook in adding to the chaos. I just sat around all day doing nothing, he said. And that hurt a little bit because it rang true. But the leader helped me out. He explained that everyone plays an equally vital part in the group. He explained how we're all gears in a singular machine. Some parts may seem small or unable to move, but their purpose reveals itself in time, when the machine starts moving faster or when it starts performing different tasks. He made me feel a lot better. But the cook wasn't having it. She asked the leader how he could be so sure about all of that. And he replied that it's his job to know he is the leader. So some know more about this place than others, the cook concluded. And the leader nodded like it was nothing, like she had asked if he was feeling better. The cook thanked him for his honesty and turned to me. Do you see, she asked me and pointed at the leader. And she started talking gibberish again. She said something like, he wears the Anubis mask now. Secrets do exist in here. Everyone was looking at me to see what I would make of it all. And for a second, I saw the cook through their eyes again because of that nonsense about a mask. For a second, I saw the crazy woman with the broken face again, all her scars wiggling around like worms in a can to give room to her smile. But she isn't insane, I reminded myself. She's waking up, and that's, that's a very confusing process, I'll tell you. They don't understand that. Some know more than others. That's what she made the leader admit. That's the important part. The entertainer resumed his story about the philosopher and the cook let him. She sat down and ate her cold breakfast. After she finished, I suddenly felt her hand on my leg. I looked up and she gave me a quick wink. Such a tiny movement, so subtle, but it had more meaning than all the words spoken at breakfast that morning. The cook and I now have a bond outside of our instructions. Outside of the eight rooms, we're standing together in that dark space, looking out to learn whatever it has to teach us. And that's why the cook and I did what we did this afternoon. I hope you'll understand. I just want to make sure that this recording reflects our true intentions. I mean, I know we broke the rules, 
but we don't want to create chaos or anarchy like some seem to think. And I especially want to make clear that Cook had no intentions to hurt anyone or turn this into a dangerous place, you know? She asked me not to talk about our secret meeting on this recording, and I understand why she would ask that. It's very understandable, and I told her I wouldn't because I didn't want her to worry, but what harm can this recording do? So here's what we did. We just had a meeting, the two of us, in private, to talk about our instructions. Not share them, just talk about them, that's all. We met in the hospital room after the doctor went up to record her entry. I sat on one of the beds and the cook asked me if I brought my instructions. I hadn't, I had left them in my locker. But I told her I knew the most important parts by heart. I think she was disappointed, but she hadn't brought hers either. She felt there wasn't anything important in there. Just how to prepare food and what to tell the fixer in case of a malfunctioning food tap. At first, she made me feel uncomfortable. She kept pacing the room, touching the weird glass boxes on the carts next to the beds. She started talking gibberish again. She asked me if the name Peter Parker meant anything to me. I've never heard of that name before. She said that name kept popping up in her head. I told her to come sit on the bed with me and close the curtain. I told her about the third chapter in my instructions. Wait until the need for education arrives. It will happen, and you will recognize it. The cook also found that part interesting. Her reasoning was, if I'm not meant to teach the group yet, it means something's going to change, some significant event that will make education necessary. And she could be right about that, because a lot of the text in here, a big chunk of the curriculum I'm meant to transfer, seems to prepare the students for something, something that hasn't happened yet. This whole chapter's on what they call the transition. That whole transition thing made the cook ask me if there was any mention of the number of people I was meant to teach. There isn't, but her reasoning was that I'm either not meant to teach yet, or I'm not meant to teach us. As in, I was meant to teach other people. And that confuses me way more than her other ideas and questions. It gave me an uneasy feeling and it still does. I asked her what she meant because, you know, who else is there? We know all the people. We've met the whole group. But we couldn't talk about it for long. We could feel the rumble of the elevator that started to come down. So we had to get out of the hospital room and back to work before anyone would start asking questions. This continues tomorrow, she said. And I agreed. But now I'm stuck for the rest of the day with another question, you know? apart from all the other stuff going through my mind. An even harder question than before. Are the 10 of us the only people in here? Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. 
The uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. So the next day, I get a call that the kids don't have to come to school. That one fat teacher calls me, the head guy or whatever. He tells me that he thought it would be best to give the kids a day off after everything that had happened. But I sensed there was more to it, so I started calling around, and I find out Claire tells me. But at first, I don't believe her. At first, I'm sure she's pranking me. And if I tell you, you're probably going to laugh. You probably aren't going to believe it either. Just remember one thing. You never got this from me. That young new kindergarten teacher from England is a spy. She is a spy. A spy! We used to joke about that little girl, remember? What's her name? I don't even know her name. That's how good she is. We used to joke around about her infiltrating the WDU to kidnap our children, remember? Because we had no idea where she was from. Turns out, nobody knows anything about her because she was a spy. She was spying on all the dads working for the government, on all the families dropping their kids off at her class. And you know how she did it? Here comes the big plot twist. She bugged everything the kids made in her class. All the stupid stuff they made for their parents. Everything we felt like we should put in our office and be proud of. All the drawings we stuck on the fridge. She bugged all of that with, like, micro equipment or something. Almost invisible, too small to see. Patrick found one of those bugs in whatever Derek made him last time. That's how she got caught. So Patrick is basically a hero. He caught her. They still know nothing about her, though. I heard they offered her a massive reduction on her sentence if she gave up anything, but she never did. She didn't say a word, so she's going away for longer than she'll live. Okay, listen, I gotta go. It was great talking to you. Love you. Bye. Okay, so I think something bad is happening right now. I'm not sure if it's my fault. Well, it can't be my fault, right? I wouldn't know how this could be my fault, but... It does feel like I'm part of the cause somehow. I mean, oh shit, um, sorry, I forgot. Um, I am the teacher and this is my fourth entry. I'm talking about the entertainer. He disappeared. I mean, it looks like he disappeared. They, they can't find him. Nobody knows where he is. And now we're not allowed into the dorm anymore for some reason. I don't know exactly what is happening, but I overheard them saying they looked everywhere and couldn't find him. I hope the cook didn't do anything stupid. We had a secret meeting again and she wasn't in a good mood. We met in the garden room this time because it's easier to hide there. I mean, the farmer has been cutting a lot of the excess greenery, so it's looking good. He's been working hard, but still, it's pretty easy to disappear in there, you know? So we met and the cook was acting different. She was very much on edge again and I had trouble following her train of thought. She wanted to make a plan to secretly read everybody's instructions, especially the leaders and the communicators. But I didn't want to be part of it. I told her right away that was one line we should never cross. I know that for sure. She started whispering at one point, looking up at the glowing purple ceiling as if we were being watched, talking gibberish. I tried to calm her down a bit, but she was so nervous and hyperactive, she acted really weird again. I asked her if she'd put some more thought into my instructions, and she had. She had put a lot of thought in it. 
She couldn't stop thinking about the possibility of more people arriving here somewhere in the future. From where, I asked. But she didn't know. The key was to find the door, she said, the door that was hidden somewhere. If there's more people coming, they have to come from somewhere and they need a way into this place. A door that can only be found from one side, unless you know where to look. I tried to remind her, we don't know for sure there are more people coming. We couldn't know for sure more people even exist. We just assume this based on one line in my instructions. But she wouldn't listen to me. I couldn't get through to her anymore. She was blinding herself with theoretical possibilities. It was hard to watch and I considered leaving. At one point she kind of broke down. She sat down on the white pathway and put her face in her hands. I wanted to console her, but I didn't know how. She kept saying we had to find the door. Then suddenly she looked up, she had an idea. She wanted to break the glass in the kitchen, the windows. She wanted to take one of the chairs and break a window open. But I didn't like that at all. That sounded like a horrible idea. What if the darkness comes pouring in like the water from our taps? What if we drown in the darkness? There's nowhere for us to go. She kept going on about it, how the chairs are heavy enough to get it done with the two of us. And I panicked because I wanted to stop her, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what to say to make her change her mind. But I didn't have to say anything. We could hear people yelling to each other and we heard the rumbling of the elevator moving up and down while we were having our talk. Something was going on. That much was already clear. And when the yelling got worse, the cook and I ended our secret meeting. She got up and we walked towards the exit together. And when we got there, the leader and the cleaner walked out of the elevator. The leader was distraught. He didn't look well at all. Have you seen the entertainer, he asked us. Is he in here? He wasn't, we knew for sure, but we helped looking anyway. We looked all over the garden. I think the leader tried to corner the cook at one point to question her or something. He probably thinks she had something to do with it. Everybody does. I took her downstairs before things could get out of hand. I hope that didn't give anyone the wrong impression. Even now, while I'm recording this, they haven't found him. It's like the cook is right. It's like he found a door and simply left. There is something else, though. The communicator and the leader were trying to keep us out of the dorm but the doctor called them out. They said we couldn't go into the dorm because the cleaner needed more time to clean. But the doctor basically called them liars. That's not why we weren't allowed in the dorm, the doctor said. She said she was the one that walked in and saw it in the first place, all of the blood. She said it was everywhere. She said it was smeared across the lockers.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.